This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. One of the things with PPE is it gives a false sense of security. You know, it really is the, the least effective of the protective measures that we have available to us as safety professionals. It, it's, it's a very big uh, consideration to have these on site voluntarily. Uh, it's important to know that you trigger some very specific requirements related to medical surveillance and fit testing, and those are annual requirements. This week on the show, we're talking about PPE in the brewery. And we've got a great team of folks who've put in some serious volunteer hours to develop brewery safety resources for the industry. Hi, I'm Corey Martin. I'm the founder and CEO of Brew Safer, and I'm a workplace safety consultant working with craft breweries. Hi, my name is Andrew Dagnan, and I am the environmental health and safety manager with Wicked Weed Brewing and a member of the Master Brew Association Safety Committee. Hi, I'm Jim Corr. I'm founder and brewmaster at Catalyst Beverage Consulting, and I have been a founding member of the uh, Master Brewers uh, Safety Committee and uh, participate as I can over time. And a past president of the Master Brewers. There you go. Corey, before we talk about how to get PPE right, talk about the effectiveness of PPE. Yeah, so there are a lot of things that go into you know how effective a particular PPE article is in terms of worker safety. It's you know, certainly the least uh, effective of all of the kind of OSHA hierarchy um, of protections. And that's really because, you know, it's A, basically, you know, dependent on how well the employee uses it, how effective the piece of PPE is maintained and, um, you know, how specific it is for that particular operation. Uh, And, you know, it, 
the kind of highlight is that the hazard is still there. So by the time you're getting to PPE, you haven't mitigated it through engineering controls or substitution to something that's, you know, less effective or less hazardous, or, you know, you haven't done some sort of administrative control to prevent the person from coming in contact with that hazard. You're basically accepting that the hazard is going to be present for this work operation. And you're essentially just trying to put as many personal you know, barriers between that person and the the hazard, even though it's still present during that particular uh, process. So, you know, we've all seen issues with PPE being worn ineffectively or, you know, in some cases, not at all. Or, you know, just in, in hindsight, you find out that your particular uh, article of PPE wasn't protective in the way that you thought it was. So, you know, it could be a glove compatibility issue or the respirator might not be sufficient for the process that you're working on. So you never want to rely on it. And, you know, it really is the the least effective of the protective measures that we have available to us as safety professionals. Before you just go out and prescribe um, PPE right away, some things that you should do is uh, look at uh, what's called an engineering control um, you know, is there some way um, that you can eliminate or substitute the hazard? Because uh, the safest thing to do is, is to not have the hazard rather than wear something to protect you against the hazard. So, you know, take, for instance, a chemical handling system. You know, if you're manually, manually handling CIP chemicals, um, you know, the safest route would be to go to an automated system. Can't always get there, obviously, especially not right away. So PPE may be a good choice for that until you can. Uh, but what you should do is, is try to engineer those controls out or try to eliminate or substitute them. Uh, and you should also have uh, the next level, what are called administrative controls, put into place. So things like training, procedures, uh, you know, when you bring a new hire on, how are you going to make sure they know how to use your system? Even if they've used a brewing system very similar to yours, your, yours may have small differences uh, or even just where things are placed may be different. So you need to have those training programs and uh, your your procedures put in place to ensure that you know how to use that equipment safely. Uh, and then once you've done all those things, then obviously look at PPE because again, you can't engineer out every single control. So what you can't uh, controlling wearing wearing PPE is, a, is another good option. OSHA requires employers to provide adequate PPE to employees. Who determines what adequate is? Generally, it's the employer's responsibility to determine the, uh, the risk and the, and the appropriate uh, safety measures. So uh, it, it comes down to the employer's uh, review of that, and, uh, and then it becomes more of a management issue of explaining and uh, working with the, employee, the employees to, uh, to uh, I guess, I don't want to say agree to, but to accept that and then to continuously work towards finding a better solution as they become available. I think just to, to recap what Corey said, one of the things with PPE is it gives a false sense of security, and people think that uh, they're covered, but the risk, as you said, is still there, and PPE often is either used inadequately um, or, like I said, uh, just gives a false sense of security and ends up being uh, making the condition a little bit worse at times. All right, Corey, tell us a little bit more about that hazard assessment that employers are on the hook for. 
Yeah, I mean, there are certainly regulatory standards that will guide a lot of the PPE selection um, process, but you know, every employer should start with a you know pretty wide scale, uh, wide scope, um, you know assessment of what the hazards are on site. So, you know, for a lot of breweries, that's going to be, you know, fairly extensive for the list. You know, you have electrical hazards, you're dealing with a lot of wet surfaces, you have mechanical hazards, you have chemical cleaners, airborne particles are certainly involved. And, you know, you really have to document each place where, you know, these things come up and then evaluate what you've done from an engineering and administrative control standpoint. And if you can't, fully, you know, engineer or administratively administratively remove a lot of these hazards, then you're going to have to, again, fall to the uh, PPE uh, process to, you know, put additional safeguards in place. And that's going to be dependent on what that PPE assessment looks like. What happens when employees want to use their own PPE? Yeah, so it is the employer's responsibility to provide sufficient PPE. So, you know, if an employee comes in, it's usually footwear uh, or safety glasses that I see. Um, Those are the two most common and maybe other um, people can can chime in on what they've seen as well. But footwear tends to be the one that most people have preferences for. And it's really up to the employer to approve those personal PPE uh, articles so that you can basically you know, ensure that it's sufficient for what they're doing in the workplace. So, you know, if their footwear is not slip resistant or, you know, it's a, it's not um, non-conductive or, you know, depending on what the, the hazard uh, assessment tells you, uh, you can work through that, but it is on the employer to verify that all the employees are, you know, properly protected. Okay. Um, I bet a lot of folks listening to this have never done a hazard assessment before. Where should they start? Yeah, so for starting a hazard assessment, um, there are a lot of resources out there, uh, different types of forms that you can use. And, and I would highly recommend uh, getting one of those for, for a good starting place. I mean, you can either just Google or uh, look on the OSHA website. Um, there actually are some resources through the Master Brewers Association uh, and, both the, and also the Brewers Association for uh, for doing that. But at, once you have your form, I think one of the most important things to do is to prioritize what you are going to do your assessment on. So, you you know, you know, you can't do a hazard assessment on every, every single thing right away. So look at things where you've had past injuries, maybe some near misses, uh, where employees are most concerned, uh, where you know your most hazardous areas are and start try, trying to do your hazard assessments on those first. Um, and determine what type of PPE you have for, for those tasks. And then you can kind of make it a little more broad for certain areas and that sort of thing. But, you know, without knowing your hazards, uh, you can't wear the right PPE. And so, uh, so having kind of that process set up uh, from the very beginning is really the first step of, of determining the exact PPE you need for, uh, for each of your tasks and for your areas. One of the things I'd point out is that don't, don't get hung up on, on it being perfect the first time because. Um, because you haven't done one before, uh, it's better to, to to get your feet wet and go out there and do it, and then go back and improve it over time. It's it's a living document, <clears throat> so you know the hazards change over time, the uh, solutions improve over time. So again, just don't don't let the fact that you've never done one before uh, keep you from giving it a try, because even a partial one or a 
90% one is better than nothing. Yeah, and I'll just mention that the article uh, has a link to the MBAA safety toolbox talk that has a resource on PP hazard assessments. So that could be a great guide uh, just to do the first one. And then as you develop your own uh, internal document, you can use that. But uh, yeah, they're, they're great reference uh, guides. So um, definitely not something you have to build from scratch. All right, sounds good. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can get to that directly. Um, Okay, I'm guessing it's not enough to just slap earplug and safety glass dispensers on the wall. Talk about what kind of training is required. Yeah, so employers need to basically provide enough training so that the employer or the employees realize, you know, why it's important in what situations to wear it, but also how to properly put it on, take it off, and maintain it. I think a lot of emphasis is placed on the why and the how to use it and when to use it, but not so much specifically on how to don and doff it appropriately if that's you know what you're what you're doing or to maintain it. So the maintenance, you know, we've all seen safety glasses with tons of scratches in them. I've come across chemical resistant gloves with holes in them. You know, these are all simple maintenance things that really need to be emphasized in this training as well uh, because again it's the the pp is only as effective as it is um, you know in good condition and appropriate for that particular uh, process you've got a list of um, some of the the most common hazards found in breweries in the tq article let's just roll through a few of those and maybe point out a few that maybe aren't in the sort of at the the front of mind for uh, the average craft brewer. Sure. Yeah. So you know, obviously, the the chemical, electrical, mechanical, those are you know pretty ubiquitous in the the brewing space. But uh, I like to point out things like slip trips, slips, trips and falls, and you know traffic areas, especially if you're bringing forklifts and industrial trucks and those types of things. You know, making sure that people are appropriately protected and know where to go um, in the the brewing space. Confined spaces are always going to be a big hazard especially if you have people going into tanks or you know, silos or those types of things. It uh, really depends on the operations there. Obviously, you have really high temperature liquids. Um, and you know, depending on what you're using for cooling systems, that can also be a hazard. And then airborne particles, if you're filtering with silica or if you're milling and have compostable dust uh, from those operations, that's also a, a big concern. All right, let's get into some specific examples of PPE that can be found in breweries. And I really want to focus on what to consider when selecting PPE for a brewery. Let's start with something that's in pretty much every brewery, safety glasses. So some things to look out for uh, with safety glasses. Uh, the number one issue that, that I typically see in a brewing environment is, is fogging. So there's a, a lot of humidity going in, in and out of cold environments and into warm environments. So, um, you know, one of the things that we typically look for are things like nose bridges that fit uh, and allow airflow, uh, but also have small openings at the top, but obviously not large enough to let any kind of hazards through. Um, and, uh, and also just making sure that they're comfortable. So, uh, you know, a, a really easy way to do this is, is to chat with a local vendor and just get them to bring in three, four different types of safety glasses into your brewery and try them out and see what works for your environment and what fits your employees best. Additional face protection uh, measures other than just safety glasses uh, typically include 
um, things like face shields, uh, safety goggles. Um, and when I mentioned face shields, there are obviously different types. There's, you know, some for chemical handling. There's some of, uh, for more maintenance works, uh, think like grinding or welding, uh, et cetera. Um, but one thing that, you know, I would really like to get across is that in a brewing environment, uh, what most brewers uh, and even packaging employees are going to be doing is chemical handling. You know, you're, you're not going to likely not going to get around that at least at some point. And so the biggest thing that I would like to stress there is getting uh, eye protection, um, such as goggles under a face shield or a face shield with goggles built in uh, to fully protect the eye. Um, you're not always as safe as you think you might be wearing just a face shield and safety glasses or obviously just a face shield without safety glasses. Um, and so definitely focusing on a full goggle protection um, when chemical handling uh, at all times to fully protect the eyes. That's, that sounds good. And, and Corey, in the article, you mentioned um, that there's a lot of, um, uh, lot of uh, reported um, preference and comfort for safety goggles that sort of resemble uh, ski goggles. And boy, do I wish I had learned this years ago <laughs> because I spent uh, almost my entire career thus far um, using regular safety glasses that were uncomfortable and whatnot. And about two or three years ago, I randomly picked up a pair of these on Amazon. They cost almost nothing and total game changer. I mean, I, I often find myself in the brewery. I just forget that the, I have them on. And so I just walk around with them like all day long because I don't realize they're so comfortable. I don't realize I have them on and they don't ob obstruct your vision at all. And um, there's been numerous occasions where I had, you know, a small chemical splash um, that otherwise probably would have gotten in my eye. So um, I'm a big fan of those and um, suggest people check those out for sure. Yep. Yeah. And that's a great point that you made about forgetting that you have them on. Once you have found a safety glass option or safety goggles that you forget you're wearing, you've kind of achieved your goal of, you know, making it so that it's comfortable enough that you can just wear it constantly. I think, you know, if it's, it's, if it's fogging up all the time or you're getting pressure points or you have, you know, really hard plastic digging into you know, your nose or you know, your ears, then obviously it's not going to be something that you're going to want to comply with. But um, once you've achieved comfort, I think you're, you're well on the way to, to compliance for sure. All right, let's hear about gloves. I think disposable gloves are one of those big areas of false sense of security if you're not using them appropriately and you haven't properly evaluated the hazard. A lot of the thin nitrile gloves that are kind of the go-to uh, for protection from chemicals are pretty easily eaten up by uh, a lot of the caustic cleaners that are used in the brewing environment. So a lot of times you're going to want to go with a more permanent, you know, reusable disposable glove, but it, even then you still need to establish that chemical compatibility is still there and that, you know, what you're using is appropriate for that chemical. And you can do that by referencing the SDS and going from there. Uh, you know, I, the other issue with these reusable chemical gloves is as you change cleaners, you know, if you go from one type of chemical to another, you may have to switch uh, the chemical gloves. And, you know, maintenance is a big issue with reusable gloves because you don't want to get holes. And a lot of times they'll develop, you know, where the thumb and the forefinger meet. That's a big area. And the, the final issue I've seen with reusable gloves uh, is actually going overboard and getting a glove that's so thick that the brewer can't actually perform the process anymore. So they lose all dexterity or tactility when they're, when they're using gloves. And, you know, it's not 
the case where you want to just go with the thickest glove available because you still have to, you know, make sure that you're not introducing other hazards by just making it so that dropping the, everything. Yeah, you can't <laughs> you can't have the worker actually perform the job that they're supposed to be performing. Coming up. I haven't yet to be to a brewery where there aren't beards. And, you know, a lot of people are disappointed to hear that if they're required to wear respirators, then they have to do away with their beards. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Support for this podcast is brought to you by ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, tri-clamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Master Brewers Podcast is brought to you by RAR North Star Pills, a new base malt to set your compass by. RAR North Star Pills is crafted for brewers looking for a domestic Pilsner malt with low color and low modification. North Star Pills carries overtones of honey and sweetbread, supported by flavors and aromas of hay and nutty character, suitable for any beer style, but particularly craft brewed versions of classic lagers. Let RAR North Star Pills guide your craft by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact us at 1-800-374-2739. And thanks also to Christian Hansen, suppliers of frozen liquid yeast. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation live streams data from your active fermentations, allowing you to remotely track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Try it free for 30 days. Visit precisionfermentation.com slash MBAA. There's one last sponsor I should mention, and that's More Beer. Visit morebeerpro.com to browse ingredients, equipment, and more. And if you like this show, be sure to thank all of our sponsors because it wouldn't be possible without their generous support. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. Don't miss the Master Brewers webinar classifying the unknown, identifying organisms with affordable genetic sequencing November 10th. District Northwest meets virtually November 13th. District Pittsburgh will hold a live Facebook event November 16th. District Georgia meets November 17th at Bold Monk Brewing Company. District St. Louis has a virtual meeting November 19th. District St. Paul, Minneapolis meets November 19th. Our friend Gabriel Dominguez from episode 186 joins Sierra Nevada's Ken Grossman and others for a collaborative webinar put on by Master Brewers, ASBC, and the BA. The topic is Brewing CO2, a supercritical ingredient, utility, and byproduct. Gabriel's not going to like that title. You can register now for the December 3rd webinar via a link in the show notes. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Master Brewers Association of the Americas offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Keep current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers today. 
Use discount code BEER20 to save 20% on dues. Now through December 31st, 2020. Master Brewers. United We Brew. Now back to the show. Okay, let's hear about footwear. One of my experiences with footwear, you know, first of all, uh, there's so many different environments in a brewery and so many different floor styles that I have yet to find a pair of shoes that address um, universally across the requirements of slip resistance, chemical resistance, and uh, generally not tracking material from one area to the other. The best treads patterns that I've found for slip resistance generally also like to get gummed up with particulate matter that you drag in and out of rooms. So don't rely on the fact that a a particular pair of shoes or boots is stamped as slip resistant because um, they generally will only be slip resistant under certain conditions. So you have to uh, be aware of that and, and continue to impress upon people to, to walk carefully, to keep uh, housekeeping uh, up to snuff, to, to keep the floors dry is probably the most important thing. Don't let materials build up on the floor. Uh, it's probably your best bet. But it goes back to the flips, trips, and falls uh, connection. So, All right. Corey, in the article, you mentioned um, static-free uh, as it relates to, to milling and whatnot. Talk about that, because that's something that I bet a lot of folks don't think about. Yeah, so that's one of the issues. It's it's one of those secondary or even tertiary hazards, but um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's often overlooked. But if you're doing grain milling and you're getting these combustible dusts that are really fine uh, building up, you know, you can address these you know, with ventilation or, you know, periodic vacuuming or, you know, those types of operations. But, um, you know, in those environments, a static charge could represent an ignition source that you're not, you know, paying attention to. And because certain boots are not static free and they're constantly, you know, engaging with different work surfaces, that's one of the areas where you could get an electrical charge uh, that could touch off that that combustible dust so you know it's 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 i'm calling it secondary or tertiary because normal you know good workplace practices where you're housekeeping and keeping those dusts to a minimum in your in your milling site you know are are certainly the best way to to handle that but as an additional kind of safeguard making sure that your boots are static free is a good way to go we covered the subject of noise hazards in detail last week on the show, but go ahead and give us an overview of PPE as it relates to hearing protection. So the first step of, uh, of understanding what type of hearing protection you need um, is to actually get a noise survey completed um, to know what the noise levels are in your facility. Um, so a few different ways you can do that. You can purchase your own meter. Uh, you can work with a local consultant. Um, sometimes you can work with uh, the OSHA office, their consultative, consultative arm, uh, or sometimes you can reach out to your workers' compensation insurance company and they can do it for you. But the reason I like to highlight that and I want to stress that is that uh, a few different reasons. One, uh, you may not actually have to wear hearing protection per the OSHA uh, regulation. 
Um, and so it would be more of a recommended practice. Um, and the second one is, um, depending on the noise levels, uh, you need to pick the right type of hearing protection. So uh, hearing protection has a rating called a noise reduction rating or NRR. And if you don't know what your noise levels are, um, then you won't be able to pick the right, the right type. Um, and so you may not be adequately protecting your workers in, in certain situations. So, so once you understand what the noise levels are, then you can start looking at the different types. And again, um, you know, this really comes down to trying out different, different types uh, to ensure that you have the most, most comfortable and also most effective. So one person may like earplugs, one person may like earmuffs, uh, another person may like a different type of earplug. And not that you have to offer 50 different types, but uh, maybe you have two or three different types to ensure that, you know, it does work for everybody and it is comfortable and people are using it, um, which is also another important part of this is, you know, you make sure you have the right types so people actually want to use it. So, so uh, just to recap, first, understand what the noise levels are, try out some different types and, and just make sure that you select the uh, appropriate uh, method for reducing the noise level in your environment. I do want to jump in on one element of hearing protection in that this is one of the best areas for evaluating other controls uh, before you just, you know, stick earplugs or earmuffs into the situation because hearing protection can really reduce situational awareness. And if communication is a big part of your brewing operations, especially as, you know, traffic or forklifts or, or those types of things are, are jumping around, uh, you really want people to be aware. And if you're reducing their their ability to hear and um, you know be situationally aware in the in the workplace, then that's a problem. So always start with dampers or enclosures or those kinds of things around uh, loud equipment when you can. All right, there's some major watchouts when it comes to respiratory protection. Talk about that. Yeah, so respiratory protection, I think, is one of those often misunderstood considerations um, because everyone refers to face coverings as masks, uh, or they'll refer to, you know, what is typically considered a dust mask as a respirator. And so I think the the definitions and the terms that you're using are very important and being very careful about distinguishing between a non-sealed uh, face mask and a sealed respirator, like the disposable N95 respirators is very important. So, and, and the reason why it's so important is because OSHA has very specific requirements for what constitutes a respiratory protection program. And when you have a sealed respirator, either in the disposable N95 form or a cartridge respirator for more of the chemical hazards, although they do particulates as well, uh, it's important to know that you trigger some very specific requirements related to medical surveillance and fit testing. And those are annual requirements and, you know, I haven't yet to be to a brewery where there aren't beards and, you know, a lot of people are disappointed to hear that if they're required to wear respirators, then they have to do away with their beards. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of things that go into the respirator aspect um, that are you know, generally realized too late. And, you know, that needs to be in a written program. The training is very important. The, again, the medical uh, surveillance and fit testing is important. Uh, but also, I've seen groups get into some regulatory issues where they require it for voluntary use, but they don't require it. And that's another area where uh, you can run into OSHA issues because a voluntary use program still requires an Appendix D. Uh, it's a very specific form that requires employees who are wearing respirators for voluntary use uh, to read and understand 
the risks associated with respirators. Um, So part of the reason why that medical surveillance is so important is because a a sealed respirator has some issues with um, oxygen availability if you wear them for a significant amount of time and have some underlying conditions. So for most uh, people, it's fairly safe, uh, but you need to check through lung capacity and all that kind of stuff to make sure that you know the person is is safe to to wear those. So an appendix D kind of is the, I guess, waiver <laughs> equivalent to say, you know, the employee is taking responsibility for the the safety risks associated with that respirator and wants to wear it on a uh, you know voluntary basis. And this is one of the I, I have a lot of conversations with. With clients on this, uh, in terms of, you know, the if you're very sure that your workplace doesn't have the hazards associated with that, you know, it, it's it's a very big uh, consideration to have these on site voluntarily. Um, and then if you are requiring them because you know that these hazards are on site, you really do need to take the steps to make sure your program is is sufficient. Thanks to the. COVID-19 pandemic, everybody now knows what PPE stands for, uh, which is why we didn't even bother to define it this time. But I guess we should probably also comment on masks and how they might fit into this whole equation. Yeah, so the N95 issue, I think, is really coming up with people bringing N95s from home and voluntarily wearing that particular model in the workplace. And that's one you know, big gray area where you want to be able to take care of it with the Appendix D. And that's because uh, that is known to limit airflow, whereas a, a cloth or surgical type of mask is not? Correct, yeah. So the cloth coverings or, you know, just the standard dust masks that don't form fit to your face, they don't have the, um, you know, the breathing challenges that a sealed respirator would have. This is uh, obviously a timely topic, um, and uh, there's a you know things are constantly changing with with all of this. Um, but I, I would echo um, what has been said, um, and one thing that one option you may have is is to prepare all of your employees is just have everyone read through and sign the Appendix D, um, and potentially do some sort of basic uh, respiratory safety training. Um, about you know how to use them, uh, signs and symptoms of use. If you are having reduced oxygen, um, it's a hot time of year. So if you get overheated, what do you do? You know maybe take it off in a safe area, uh, drink some water, and relax because it can uh, cause additional additional heat uh, heat stress. Um, and so just training all your employees on that and having them all have that understanding um, because it may come a time where you know you don't realize it, but, you know, someone brings in a 95 from home or they have to wear it for a certain reason. And just being prepared for that situation, I think, is, uh, is, is kind of an easy way to ensure all your employees are ready if and when they have to use uh, the, the N95 or the, you know, tight-fitting respirator. We've talked about some of the more common forms of PPE found in the brewery setting. What are some other types of PPE that we might not be thinking of? You know, other considerations for PPE would be things like specialty gloves. So either heat resistant or cut resistant gloves. I think a lot of people with bottling lines could benefit from having a pair of cut resistant gloves around in case there's a, a you know broken glassware around. Anyone doing PPE or anyone doing welding operations on site will have very specific uh, PPE requirements for those uh, capabilities. And then additional things for PPE would be, you know, fall protection, uh, equipment, hard hats, if there are, you know, certain 
renovations or new construction going on. Uh, I've, I've even seen some high-powered lasers for engraving or etching, so those might come with some laser safety goggle requirements. And then there's always some consideration for flame-resistant clothing, depending on you know if there are high uh, in-house um, voltage kind of electrical maintenance operations going on. Um, you know, if you're accessing really high voltage panels or those types of things. In the TQ article, you outlined some keys to PPE policy success. Let's hear about some of those. Yeah, so I think the biggest thing is consistency, number one, and establishing a safety culture that encourages PPE use. Um, you know, I think a lot of times programs get set back if they start to have employees kind of get lax on the PPE and then other people see that and um, kind of follow suit. And, you know, you really just want PPE to be a standard operating um, principle in the space. And, you know, if you start having one or more people um, not following suit and, and that's kind of overlooked, especially if it's a, a higher level uh, manager, I think a lot of times I've seen it in the case of, you know, the owner or, you know, one of the, the safety reps or something, they'll go through quickly um, just to, to pass through the space. And, you know, that's obviously visible. And, you know, you want to make sure that everyone's on the same page about the program and that everyone's in compliance and, and following that. And, you know, I think if you're a new employee and you're coming into a space and everyone is, you know, 100% compliant and, you know, you can see that, it makes it a lot easier um, to, to buy in rather than, oh, I'm the new person and I'm the only one wearing PPE. You know, you're much less likely to, to you know, follow suit in that case. Uh, and then, you know, employee inclusion, anytime you're selecting new PPE, uh, I love demo days. Um, I love getting a few different products and, you know, having people try them out. A lot of vendors will provide, you know, a couple of models just for testing, uh, especially if they're newer models. Um, and it's it's really good for, for staff buy-in and just allowing them to select the PPE that they want to wear. Uh, everyone has different face shapes and, and requirements and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's it's really nice just to have them, you know, involved in the selection process. And then I think the final thing is really just the periodic review. And as hazards or operations change in the brewing space, make sure that you're going back to that risk assessment document and constantly reviewing your PPE. And, you know, if there are gaps in that program, you know, if you need to get a second set of eyes, um, you know, from OSHA or, or some other consultant, I think those are really important to do just so that you're, you're not uh, missing something and, you know, uh, you know, putting your employees at risk because of that. I'd like to reiterate the importance of leading by example. The, the number of times that uh, you know someone of, of authority uh, walks through a brewery that I worked at that uh, that didn't follow the PPE, you can be sure that everyone notices that. <laughs> and uh, the other side of that is there's oftentimes as well, especially you get to be my age, and I've got two or three different pairs of glasses and. I would walk out of the office with my, with my computer glasses on just out of muscle memory and walk out into the brewery and, and realize that I've got the wrong ones on or I don't realize it. And then, you know, to encourage coworkers to not be afraid to, to come up to you or any men, any person, no matter what rank in the organization and politely, uh, 
remind them that they don't have a PPE on. And as a manager, or leader, or safety professional, you know, you need to thank them and, uh, and encourage that sort of behavior because you know, we're kind of our brother's keepers out there and we're all human. And when people forget or make a mistake in their selection or their, their, uh, their implementation of that PPE, you know, to feel the confidence to be able to step in and, and make a correction should be encouraged. Obviously, get your employees involved in the process. Um, you know, have them try things out. Uh, get your vendors to send you some examples, uh, whether that's gloves or safety glasses or whatever it is. Uh, have your vendors send you two or three different types or even three or four uh, and have uh, your employees try them out for a week or two and get some feedback on those and see what works best. Um, and then another thing is, you know, we all work at breweries. Uh, we're all uh, ho- hopefully and most people should be proud of where they work. And so put your logo on it, you know, slap your logo on a T-shirt or, you know, if you got a if you if you're wearing bump caps or something, get a hat with a logo on there or uh, some jackets for people who work in cold environments or something like that and uh, brand it and make people proud to wear it. Um, and so it's not just something that is protecting them, but it's something that they, uh, you know, hopefully like to wear as well. Uh, maybe not so much outside of work, not saying that, but, but uh, you know, like to wear it to a certain extent. Um, and then also uh, to echo another thing that was mentioned is, is really kind of building a positive uh, environment around it um, is little things like just saying, Hey, thanks for wearing your safety glasses or, you know, someone's handling chemicals and they've got their face shield and their apron and everything else on to saying, Hey, Thanks for wearing that. You're protecting yourself and others are seeing that. So appreciate you doing that. So just trying to build a positive culture around around that instead of always harping on, oh, you forgot your safety glasses or you forgot your chemical PPE and creating a negative environment. Make it a positive thing and reward people for that and talk about it. Just simple thank yous go a long way. Let's say you're given tours in your, in your, on your floor, you know, uh, you know, whether it be just your normal tour or maybe like a uh, VIP tour, more of a hands-on tour, uh, make them part of the, the brewery culture, you know, put safety glasses on them. Uh, if you have things like hard hat or bump cap requirements, make them wear a bump cap or make them wear a high-vis safety vest. Um, you know, you'd be surprised about how many people actually like to do that because it makes them feel more part of the environment. Um, and I've actually seen pictures on, you know, things like social media where people are taking pictures in their safety gear and they're like, you know, it makes them feel like they're more part of the, uh, you know, the brewery uh, as they're there. They're not just a bystander. You know, they're wearing the same gear as the people working there are and uh, kind of just includes them in that process. So uh, you wouldn't always think that people would, would like doing that. And maybe not everybody does. But, you know, for those people who do, it, again, it just kind of makes them feel more included into that process or into that environment. I remember the first time I did that was in brewing school and we all went that we were touring the Holsten brewery in, in Germany and, you know, they made us get, you know, totally donned with everything, including hair nets and whatnot. And so, you know, we took a million pictures because no one had really experienced that before. Yeah, exactly. It made, it made it part of the process and probably made it something you remembered. And obviously you did. Totally. Okay. Uh, Jim, uh, how do you know when, um, when this is working in your brewery? Well, some of the um, examples that I've had is people, people are kind of sheepishly in some cases, but also sometimes proudly come back and tell you stories about how they've applied it uh, outside of the brewery. Um, you know, that's one way I've had people come back and say, you know, the, the, I wear my safety glasses when I use the string trimmer now. Um, 
those are all great examples of, of that becoming habit. Uh, the other one uh, that I've experienced in outside facilities when I've gone for tours is the example I gave earlier is um, some an employee on the floor who has no idea who I am. As I walk through on a tour, come up to me and say, you know, you forgot to put your earplugs in. Those sort of, you know, just fundamental habits that have, that have been created and, and, you know, just ingrained into the employees start to see examples of that coming back. And then all of that leads to eventually better, better uh, safety outcomes for the whole group. I'll just jump onto that and say that as a consultant, you know, when I'm evaluating su- success, it's really, you know, when, when a client comes to me and says, you know, hey, we have this operation, it's going to be new. Can you just make sure that we have the PBE that we need or, you know, that we have the, the, the proper controls for, for that and, and do it more proactively rather than, you know, reactively, oh, we had this issue, oh, we had this near miss, you know, now we need to kind of fill that gap. Um, the more proactive, you, know, you are in evaluating these these hazards and implementing the right controls. I mean, that's that's really where you want to get to uh, with your safety program. That was Corey Martin, Andrew Dagnan, and Jim Kerr here on the Master Brewers podcast. By the way, if you're ever in a situation in which you think it makes sense to catch a ride to the airport with Jim, don't do it. There's a great article in The Onion titled, Dad Suggests Arriving at Airport 14 Hours Early, and I'm pretty sure Jim inspired that article. Love you, Jim. If this episode has made you realize that you've got a lot of work to do to keep your employees safe and keep OSHA happy, check out Corey's article in the Master Brewers Technical Quarterly, as well as the multitude of brewery safety resources available from Master Brewers. As always, you'll find direct links in the show notes. It's also worth noting that because Master Brewers believes there's nothing more important than safety, all Master Brewers safety resources are available to both members and non-members alike. I joined District Mid-Atlantic back when it was dominated by large breweries and I was often one of the only craft brewers in attendance. I'm so glad I joined. That membership has been incredibly impactful to my career and I've made so many lifelong friends from those meetings. If you're not already a member, I highly encourage you to join. And there's no time like the present because new members can use the promo code BEER20 or the link in the show notes to save 20% on dues if you register before the end of the year. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Master Brewers. Master Brewers.